Well, Lorraine, I hope you've had a good fortnight. Um, about this time last week, my family and I were driving home. I'm going to give Laura this. Yeah, about a week ago, we were driving back um, through Switzerland uh, to Frankfurt Airport. Um, it was a little bit further than we thought. Um, it, looked, it looked like a short distance on paper. Um, about 10 or 11 hours later, it was probably a little further than we thought. We did drive from Verona in Italy um, all the way up to Frankfurt in one day. I think that's probably about 700 miles, um, maybe less. They've got the Autobahn. You know, you're just going a little bit faster than now, for a good part of that journey, are we jump? Is this microphone? Does it sound like it's jumping in and out to you, or is that just me? I've, I've seen half the yeses, and it's okay. All right. If it goes terribly, can can you just, I don't know, look like you're falling over or something? The Black Forest. Is where I was going with this story. Um, the Black Forest is a lot bigger than we thought. You know, we're driving past for probably an hour or so, I think, maybe even longer, uh, in the southern part of Germany. Black Forest, that is, that is stopping, isn't it? Or mic number four. Here we are. Maybe there was a problem with that one. Yeah, we're driving past a black forest, and of course, um, the black forest region is famous for black forest cake, um, but also it made me think of all of those very dark tales of the Brothers Grimm. Um, I, I realized, as I started to think about Hansel and Gretel, I realized I don't think I ever even told my children those stories, um, because they're kind of frightening. Um, we do have a couple of young people in the room. I'm not going to make you put your hands up. But whether you heard the Hansel and Gretel story, um, does anybody remember how this story finishes? What happens? Up, after these children get abducted by a wicked witch whose house is made of gingerbread and candy, the kids get captured in a cage, but eventually they push the witch into the fire and she burns to death. And then they go home. Um, <laughs> happily ever after, straight into trauma counselling. <laughs> I don't think they had trauma counselling back then. Maybe that's the punchline. One of the uh, parts of the story, though, was uh, the children, um, as the parents decided to leave them in the forest. They were in, a, I guess, a famine, and they decided to leave their children in the forest to die. And uh, the older brother, Hansel, he's clever. And so he fills his pocket with white stones. And he goes out the first time. He's, he lays a trail of stones. And that's how he finds his way home. Uh, but the second time, the parents catch on. And they don't let him out to find stones. And so he lays a trail of breadcrumbs. Um, it didn't work because the birds came and ate all of the breadcrumbs. And they couldn't find their way home. Breadcrumbs got me thinking, um, because our story in the Bible today has crumbs in it. Um, the breadcrumb trail, sometimes you need to follow the trail of breadcrumbs at the other end. Uh, 
And our story today it has a breadcrumb trail that leads to a pretty great ending if you follow the trail. So why don't we pray that God would show us the breadcrumb trail today as we open his word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, please teach us today from this section of the Bible. Will you show us your heart and your plan to save people from all kinds of backgrounds? And we uh, pray that you would help us to trust you to do this. Um, Amen. I'm going to try putting this here. Maybe it'll make a difference. Otherwise, who knows? Well, we've been uh, looking at Matthew chapter 13 to 16 for quite a while now, and we've just got three weeks left in our little series. We've called it Hidden Treasures because it's all about looking below the surface of things that Jesus said and things that Jesus did to really to find the hidden treasure or to find the deeper meaning. And uh, today we've got another passage that on first glance, at first reading, it's not that easy to understand. In fact, so much so that I thought about skipping this passage altogether. I thought, let's just leave it, leave it out. But um, I, I thought about it and I prayed about it. And I think actually by digging a little bit deeper, it really gives us a wonderful message um, that's important for each one of us. So let's get digging. Um, if you have your handouts there, I'm going to read the passage. It's right on the back page. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. But Jesus didn't answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to a woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Do you know the, um, the very first sermon I ever preached in a church? They gave me this passage. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, I, 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 hopefully I'll do a better job today than I did back then. I remember reading this story the first time and thinking, what is that about? What is that all about? Well, at its core, it's the story of a mother with a sick daughter. Uh, it's a mother with a sick daughter. Look at verse 22. She comes to Jesus crying out, Son of David, have mercy on my, me. My daughter is demon-possessed. And she's suffering terribly. And so this mother, she has a sick daughter, and she's either seen Jesus perform healings, or she's heard about him. After all, uh, Jesus has been traveling around by this time for almost three years, and he's been doing healings, and he's performed miracles, and he's been casting out demons. Uh, That's a curious statement in itself. What does it mean to be demon-possessed? The Bible isn't afraid to talk about the spiritual realm. Jesus had confronted many demonic, uh, the demonic many times before. Um, back at the beginning of the book of Matthew in chapter 4, Jesus is confronted by Satan himself and he's tempted in the desert for 40 days. Uh, and that was before he started his ministry. 
And then Jesus regularly healed those who were demon-possessed. You can see that in Matthew chapter 4 and chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 12. And uh, it's funny, in fact, the demons knew who Jesus was. Um, Back in chapter 8, Jesus heals these two men who are demon-possessed and he sends the demons into a herd of pigs. You might remember that story. But those demons, they knew exactly who Jesus was. They called him the Son of God. And that was Matthew chapter 8, verse 29. So as far as the Bible is concerned, the spiritual realm is real. There is and there was and there will be a spiritual realm. Um, But does that mean that we see demon possession in modern times? I want to be careful how uh, how I answer because I don't want to attribute too much influence to the idea of the demonic or too little, uh, especially as I don't think I know that much about it myself. Um, Certainly other cultures, uh, Eastern cultures, African cultures, more traditional cultures, um, they're more tuned to the spiritual realm. Um, I grew up in a very modern Western atheistic background, in fact, that's that's where I grew up. And uh, certainly for me, we are much less likely to jump to the conclusion that that demonic possession is a reason for illness or misadventure. Well, long and short, this mother says that her daughter is demon-possessed, and that's kind of normal in the stories that we've been reading, and we don't have any further information, so we've got to take it at face value. Jesus doesn't contradict her, but it's funny because Jesus also doesn't jump to heal the girl. He doesn't just quickly go to heal her. Verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. And so his disciples came to him and they urged him, send her away, she keeps crying out. The disciples don't seem concerned that she's demon-possessed. Actually, they just want to get rid of the woman. She's too noisy. And that Jesus doesn't really do anything. And this is unusual for him. He doesn't say a word. And it makes me wonder, why is he doing something different than usual? Surely there's a lesson to learn here. Uh, Well, in real estate, they say location, location, location. Right? Location is everything. Well, the answer is there in verses 21 and 22. It's all about the location Jesus is traveling through a part of the world called Tyre and Sidon. And these are two port cities on the Mediterranean coast, um, modern-day Lebanon. Think of it like that. Um, Historically, Tyre and Sidon were the capitals of the Phoenician Empire, this this vast trading empire. Um, From 2000 BC, they were around, in fact, probably even older. Um, This empire of the Phoenicians, they were so strong that God's people had failed to capture that part of the land as they were trying to take over the promised land. Um, Now, later on, the Phoenicians were besieged by the Babylonians and then they were conquered by Alexander the Great and then the Persians and then the Romans. But they never became part of Israel and so they always retained their Phoenician identity and their Phoenician gods and their Phoenician religion. So as Jesus travels through this region, he's not uh, traveling amongst God's people. He's traveling and speaking amongst a people whose values are vastly different, whose religion is vastly different. Are they Gentiles, to use the language of the Bible? And that is, they're pagans. They're not those who belong to the religion of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible. And the woman herself, she's a Canaanite, and they were the pagan tribe that were the arch enemies of God's people in the Old, in the old times, in the Old Testament. And the Canaanites, they were famous for worshipping Lots of the gods that we see in the Old Testament, there's um, Baal and Asherah and Chemosh and Dagon and Molech. Um, And as you read the Old Testament, these are the gods that lead um, 
God's people astray. Uh, Even the great King Solomon built altars to these foreign gods in his old age. So Jesus, right, he's in this foreign territory. He's encountering somebody very culturally different from himself. Now, it might occur to you that um, as Christians in the United States in 2021, we live in foreign territory. Um, I know that as an Australian, but as a Christian particularly. Uh, And we daily encounter people who are culturally very different from ourselves. A different cultural background, different religious background, different worldview. Um, And the United States of 2020 to 21, it's, it's not the United States of the 1950s or whenever we thought the golden age of Christianity was here in the States. Um, culture has shifted and religion has shifted and, and I want to tell you that's okay. And that's okay because I think we actually find ourselves in a better position than we did 50 or 60 or 70 years ago because cultural Christianity has more or less disappeared. Uh, people aren't going to church just to keep up appearances. Uh, most people come because they're interested. Uh, back then everybody said they were a Christian or a Catholic or, or whatever their religion was, whether it made a difference day to day or not. Most people went to church because it was expected. It was a society's expectation. And if you didn't go, well, you might get shamed for it. But all of that meant that there were many people just going through the motions in terms of faith. And uh, that was, interestingly, the story of a religious a Muslim guy I met in Sydney a few years ago. Um, back in his country, it was very normal for everybody to say they were Muslim and to go to mosque and to pray five times a day But this guy said his heart was not in it. He had to do it so that he could keep up with the business world. It was one of those appearance things. But it made no difference to him behind the scenes. And I met him because he was in Sydney working for a few months on a a work project. And uh, he wanted to find out about Jesus. And he came along to our Alpha course. And as he met the Lord Jesus in this course, well, his life was changed forever. Uh, It was interesting. He had to go back to Iran, the country he came from, and he was worried about what would happen. And I don't know what happened to him, uh, but there you go. Now, I tell that story because I think we're in a better position than my friend from Iran. We live in a country where people are free to hold a religious viewpoint or not, and nobody has to keep up religious appearances. And I think that's one of the killers of true religious exploration, you know, if you feel like you're just going through the motions. And that means if you're a Christian here today, um, we're a bit like Jesus in Tyre and Sidon. We're in foreign territory and we're amongst people who are culturally very different from ourselves. Uh, But that's a good thing because it presents great opportunities to show something different. And that's why, and this is I think the twist in the passage, the next segment of the passage comes as such a surprise. Um, You know, we expect Jesus to have compassion. We expect Jesus to act in the way that he always does and to to heal the girl straight away. But he stands there a little bit impassively. You know, he just doesn't say something. It must have been a curious moment, even for the disciples. And the disciples want to get rid of the woman. Um, You know, they probably just wanted Jesus to heal her so that the the mother would go away. Um, There's a time a bit later in in the book of Acts where Paul um, and his disciples are followed by somebody who is demon-possessed. I was a little girl who kept crying out, these are the servants of the Lord, and uh, she did it for days and days. And eventually Paul got annoyed and he said, just demons go out of her, just so she'd be quiet. Um, (laughs) Maybe that's what the disciples wanted. But the reason for Jesus' inaction is something different. Look at verse 24. Jesus answered, I was only sent 
to the lost sheep of Israel. Um, now, if real estate is all about location, then comedy is all about timing. Um, do you know what the difference between a good and a bad joke is? Timing. <laughs> that was, a, that was a, an attempt at comedy. Timing. What's the difference between a good joke and a bad joke? Timing. For Jesus, right, the, the timing of this woman's request, it was all wrong. Jesus was on mission. Jesus was on mission. It was his mission given to him by the Heavenly Father. And his mission was to the Israelite people, to God's chosen people. And this woman, well, she wasn't part of the target audience. She wasn't mission critical. Um, I've worked with people who have a razor-sharp focus on mission, uh, on their mission. Um, it's, in some ways, it's really amazing because it gives them um, complete clarity on what's important and what isn't important. And so if you ask them to do something that's not mission critical, that's a no from them. I found it really frustrating, especially on a team when you've got stuff to do and you're sharing it out. Um, but for this, right, we have this mission statement here at church, at Yonville Community Church. In fact, it's on the screens in front of you. Our mission is sharing the hope of Jesus in the Napa Valley and beyond. And so everything that we do here hopefully contributes to us sharing the hope of Jesus uh, to people here in the valley or, or in Yonville or a little bit further beyond, a little bit further abroad. And so if, if an activity that we do um, contributes to that, uh, helps us achieve that outcome, well, we're going to do it. And if there's an activity that we do or a ministry we do and it doesn't help us achieve that outcome, it's not going to last very long for us right? because it's a waste of our time. Now, Jesus, he's mission critical. He's going to do some things. He's not going to do others. Now, Jesus, his mission was to reach the Jewish people. For the lost sheep of Israel, as he calls him, he's come as a shepherd and he's come to gather his sheep. And this woman is not one of the sheep. She's outside of the pen. And this is where the idea of timing comes in. Um, if you're like me, uh, you're often on a mission, right? You're on a mission to get a job done by 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. You're at the store and you just want to get the grocery shopping and you want to get home. Uh, perhaps today you're on a mission to finish church and get home in time for the 49ers. Is anybody on that mission today? And if something gets in the way of that mission, you will activate mission priority and you'll say no to any distraction. No, I'm not going to do that. I've got to get home to the 49ers. The problem is, what if that distraction is somebody asking you about Jesus? Like this woman who comes to Jesus, she wants his help. What if it's somebody who needs your help? It's somebody who God is putting in your way, somebody who God has divinely appointed to put there. I have a friend who prays. Um, every morning she prays for divine appointments. Um, now what that means, she, she prays that God will put somebody in her way that day. God will bring her people who she can share Jesus with. Uh, she wants to talk to people about Jesus because she loves to share the hope of Jesus. Uh, she comes from, where did she come from? Michigan, somewhere else, somewhere on the other side of the country. But she loves to do that. And, and about a year ago, Joe and I spent a day with this woman and her husband and even while we were on our mission, which was to go to Bodega Bay, during this mission of having fun with them, she was still praying for divine appointments. And during the day, she kept meeting people. We were hiking. She just starts to tell people, this is our pastor. You should come to church. We're in Bodega Bay. We haven't seen him yet, but maybe they'll come. It happened at the cashier, at the cafe. It happened when we were sitting on a bench. Um, she kept finding time and kept making time. She had her eyes open to this mission of sharing Jesus with people. She told me that there is always the chance of a divine appointment, especially if you make time for it. 
And Jesus makes time for the woman. She begs him, Lord, help me. And then Jesus says something unusual in verse 26, probably the hardest part to understand in our passage. Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Imagine you're at the dinner table and instead of feeding your kids, you took their dinner and you just gave it straight to the dogs. That wouldn't be the right thing to do, would it? I don't think so. Kids would go hungry. Jesus is saying that it would be like that if he healed this little girl. Somehow he would be taking away a blessing that belonged to the children of Israel. It wouldn't be the right thing for him to do. You read this comment about children and dogs and you think that feels offensive, doesn't it? Or pejorative or somehow a put down against this woman and her cultural background. But the mother's reply shows that she's not offended. In fact, it seems like she understands Jesus' language. Maybe it was language they were used to. And she actually pushes back using the same analogy to Jesus. She trusts that he's not being harsh. She replies, verse 27, Yes, it is right, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Seems like even back then, dogs were part of the family. You know, they're fed from the table and and nobody minds. It's just how families work. And so for this Gentile woman, even though she wasn't part of God's, the, the Old Testament children of God, she knows that she still has a place in God's household. And that's where we come back to the idea of timing because the whole Bible, right, it's this story of God creating a people so that he can bless them. He creates Adam and Eve, and they're the the, the first two people in the world, and he pours out his blessing on them. And his plan is that his blessing would always be with his people. Now, everything changes with the sin of Adam and Eve. And uh, since then, we all live with the consequences of of the things that we do wrong, all of the selfish choices that we make, uh, all of the ways that we reject God's sovereignty over our lives. Sin is, is the great problem of the Bible, and it's the thing that prevents us from experiencing all of God's blessings. But do you know God himself, God is so mission-focused. He's so mission-focused on bringing blessing to his children that he won't even let something like sin get in the way of blessing the people that he wants to. All of the blessing that he wants to shower on the world, he's not even going to let sin get in the way of that happening. And so from the 12th chapter of Genesis, it's only a couple of pages after Adam and Eve first sinned, from that point on, Jesus, uh, God reveals this plan to bring blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And he starts with Abraham and he creates a chosen people. But he says that this chosen people, this children of God, they're the way that he will bring blessing to the entire world. He'll bring blessing to every nation. And so in the Old Testament, you get the first, um, first tastes of that. And we're not going to tell you if you want to read a little bit more, you can pick up a script at the back or, or download it. But the real fulfillment of this blessing comes in the New Testament when Jesus arrives and he deals with the problem of sin once and for all. On the cross, Jesus dies and he brings forgiveness for sin and that makes it possible for God's blessing to come back to anybody who trusts in Jesus. It makes the way for us to become children of God again. And that message of forgiveness, of salvation, of forgiveness and the message of God's loving mercy, well, Jesus sends his disciples out with that message. And he sends them to the ends of the earth to share that message with all people of all kinds of backgrounds. And so from that point on, it's not just the Israelites who are the children of God, 
But now it's everybody who puts their faith in Jesus. They're all counted as children of God and and chosen and adopted and made part of God's family. See, it was always God's plan to shower blessing on all who call on him. And in fact, that never changes throughout the Bible. And so this woman in our story, perhaps her turn should have come later in salvation history. Perhaps she could see the plans that God had in store for to bless all of the nations. Or perhaps she was just a mum who hoped that Jesus would heal her daughter. I don't know. But Jesus sees her great faith and he heals the daughter. And you know, right after this section, um, Jesus goes on to heal crowds of Gentile people. And there's a feeding of the 4,000. It's just like the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, it's, it's weirdly similar. But as you read the language and you look at the location, you see it's actually Jesus pouring out his blessing just like he did on the Israelite crowd at the first feeding. He feeds them, he heals them, he blesses them. He shows that his promise is coming. His promise of blessing is coming for all people, all nations and all people. And it brings me back to us here at Yontville Community Church. Um, See, our message or our mission is to share the hope of Jesus in the Napa Valley and beyond. And our mission is a continuation of the mission that Jesus gave to his disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why we're so keen to share the gospel with all kinds of people here. And not just the kinds of people you might expect to listen, um, but with all kinds of people. So, do you know what? Do you have Muslim friends? Well, they need to know Jesus. Do you have atheist friends? They need to know Jesus. Do you have uh, tattooed biker friends? Do you have friends who are venture capitalists? Do you have friends who are accountants or school teachers? They all need to know Jesus, vegans and carnivores and foreigners and tourists, people who have houses and second homes here in Yonville, people who are old nappins, red wine drinkers, craft gin drinkers. They all need to know Jesus. Young parents need to know Jesus and those who are empty nesters, those who've got teenagers, those who are divorcees, those who are single, those who are whoever you can think of. We all need Jesus. We all need the hope of Jesus. We all need the blessing of Jesus. And so, church, I want you to pray for divine appointments. I pray for opportunities to share the hope that we have and the hope of Jesus, the experience of blessing. Pray that God would put new people in your life who you can share the hope that you have with. Now, one last thing to say, and I think some of you here probably don't know the hope of Jesus. You might have come here thinking, well, he's not for me. He's not for me. Um, Perhaps God has put you here today for a reason. Perhaps God divinely appointed you to be listening right now. So maybe you could take his cue and uh, explore Jesus a little bit further. Because what we're sharing today is a message of blessing. Uh, for this lifetime and for all of eternity. Why don't I pray for you? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of your promise, the blessing of forgiveness, uh, the blessing of eternal life. Thank you that this woman came to Jesus and she shows us that you have compassion on all who call on your name. We pray that we would call on your name and know your loving mercy, that we would know your kindness and your forgiveness. Father, give us trust and faith in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.